So we're in our parable series, and we're studying through parables of Jesus, and we're going to be doing this for quite some time, right through the summer. And today we're talking about the parable of the workers in the vineyard, which is a parable that primarily focuses on God's gracious gift of salvation to all. So first, what I want to do is I want to kind of set the stage of the placement of this parable. The parable is found in Matthew chapter 20. It's in the handout. If you don't have one, they're on the front tables. Yeah, there's a couple left over on this side. Um, Or you can grab your Bible app or your Bible. So it's in Matthew chapter 20. But before Matthew chapter 20 comes Matthew chapter 19. And there's this interesting story about this rich young ruler. So this rich young ruler winds up coming up to Jesus and asks Jesus a question. He says, Jesus, how do I receive eternal life? Jesus proceeds to tell this rich young ruler, the way that you receive eternal life is by keeping the commands. Now, I've referenced this this story many times. That is obviously a question for us because we're like, wait, what do you mean? Like, I thought it was about just believing in Jesus. Now Jesus is saying by keeping his commands, what's going on here? Well, the thing with Jesus is he knows the hearts of people. So he knew the heart and intention of this man that was asking this question. So Jesus says, keep the commands. So this man says, well, Jesus, I've already kept all the commands. And Jesus looks at this man and says, okay, well, here's one for you. Why don't you sell everything that you have, give to the poor and follow me? So the man looked at Jesus. Obviously, it was a jaw-dropping moment for him. And the scripture says he went away sorrowfully. So he walked away from Jesus. He didn't follow Jesus. He didn't do what Jesus said. He walked away. So basically what was going on now is the disciples were looking on and they were like, what is going on? They were just as confused as this man was. But in Matthew 19, verse 25, they say this to Jesus. The disciples say, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said this, with man, this is impossible but with God, all things are possible. So now what's going to happen is this, this phrase and this, what happened with this man is going to set the stage for this parable that we're going to study. But first, I want to tell you two things that was going on when Jesus said this, with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And the first was this, although this man did not trust in Jesus at this time, the guy, that, the, the rich young ruler that walked away from Jesus, it would still be possible for him to eventually be saved because salvation is a work of God. Hold on to that thought. The second thing is this. In the culture and the time that Jesus was living and going around and ministering and spoke this parable, if you were religious and rich, you were privileged, right? You were a privileged person. And of course, the mindset at that point was, if you're religious and rich and you're a privileged person in this life, of course, you must be privileged in the next. So then what happens here? So this is the mindset. Then what happens here? We have what they call a New Testament proverb. And basically, this New Testament proverb that we have to deal with is at the end of chapter 19, and then also at the end of the parable that we're going to study. And that is this, many who are first will be last, and last first. So, and then again, at the end of the parable, it says, so the last will be first, and the first last. 
So now when we really think about this, it's kind of like almost like a riddle, isn't it? It's almost a weird saying because technically, if the first then becomes last, the last then becomes first. So then it's like, okay, well, if I get to be first, then I'm last. And if I'm last, then I'm first. And it's kind of, and now you're like, you're confusing me, Pastor Mike. Why did I come this morning? Okay, here's the thing. Okay, so the best way to understand this little riddle or this proverb is think about a running race. Okay, if we have a running race and everybody crosses the finish line at exactly the same time, who's first and who's last? Any guesses? I'm first, of course. No, I'm kidding. Um, Here's the thing. You all come in at the same time. Okay, so the first is last and the last is first. All of them, they all cross at the same time, which now brings us to the connection of this parable. Because this parable essentially is teaching that all who believe in the gospel receive the same prize. All who, receive, all who believe in the gospel receive the same prize, and that same prize is eternal life. Now, the gospel message is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, we all need a Savior. We are all sinners. Jesus is that Savior. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God, and the scriptures tell us this. All who believe will have eternal life. So if you believe that when you're five, you'll have eternal life when you physically pass from this earth. If you believe that when you're 85, you will have eternal life when you pass from this earth. So you can live your entire life and believe literally on your deathbed, which there's an example in the scriptures, which I'll reference later, and you will still receive the same prize. So now let's get into the parable. In Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So the guy went out. So if you can imagine the picture, this is like a day laborer situation. So it would be like if you didn't have a job and we said, okay, we're doing day laborers and you're going to meet here at at 6 a.m. in the morning and trucks would come in and be like, you, you, you get in the truck. You're working for me. And that's basically what happened. So they weren't in, they weren't salaried employees. They didn't have a job every day. They were day laborers. So they came in, and in fact, a denarius for a day's pay for a day labor was a very generous wage at that time. So he went in for a denarius. He, he, he said, like, okay, here's the thing. You guys come and work for me. That's what I'm going to pay you. Verse 3 says this, And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So now the master came back three hours later, nine o'clock in the morning, and he saw more standing idle. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I will give you. So he didn't agree on a payment. He said, Whatever's right, I'm going to give you. So they went, going out again the sixth hour and the ninth hour. So at noon and then at three o'clock, he went out again, did the same thing, got more workers. Then verse 6 says this, and about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock at night, 5 o'clock in the evening, he went out and found others standing there, and he says to them, why do you stand here idle? So they're standing and then waiting, and what did they say? They said to him, because no one hired us. 
They're waiting to make money. No one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour, the last ones hired, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. So basically, if you could see this picture, if they were lined up and he's like, okay, here's your denarius. Of course, those people that were hired last were like, yes, look at this. I got a lot of money for only working one hour. So the ones that came at six o'clock were rubbing their hands. They're like, all right, we're, we must get more. But here's what happens. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So these guys weren't happy. They weren't happy with what they received. Verse 13 says this, But the master replied to them, Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So this is the agreement we came up with. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So now the simple and straightforward meaning of this parable is no matter when a person trusts in Jesus, they receive eternal life. Now eternal life or salvation is the great equalizer of all people. We see all the workers no matter when they started receive the same pay. So eternal life and salvation is the great equalizer. No matter who you are, where you were brought up, no matter what type of life that you had, if you trust in Jesus your prize is the same, okay? Your reward is the same, eternal life. So now what I want to do next is I want to break down the symbolism in the parable to help us understand it a little bit bit better and find out more things that we can learn. So first, the master, okay? The master actually represents God. The master is the owner of everything. He calls the shots. He says who's allowed to work. He says what their work is, and he pays the workers. That's the master. So some things we can learn about God through the actions and the character of this master are this. First is this. The master went out looking for workers just as God is looking for workers, or just as God is looking for people. We know this to be true from the scriptures, that no one can come to Jesus without Jesus seeking them out and making the offer to them. Do you know that old hymn that we sing every now and again, Amazing Grace? Everybody's pretty familiar with that. It says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Do you know the reason why it says that? Because God found you. It doesn't say once I was lost and then I found my way, or then I was so smart that I understood things. No, God is actually looking for people. God is actually seeking us out. The master is actually looking, and the next thing we learn is this. The master was looking all day, just as God is always seeking out people. You know, that master, he went out all day long looking for these willing workers. Remember, what did, what did he say to some of those workers? Why do you stand here idle? Was their answer, because I'm lazy? No. 
Their answer was, because no one has hired us. No one came for us yet. See, God is coming for people. God never stops looking. In fact, part of the reason Jesus has not come back yet is found in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's looking for people. He's looking for people to follow him. He's looking for people to trust in him. The master is also gracious, and he pays a wage that none deserve. Just as God is gracious to us and gives us salvation, which is something we do not deserve. The truth is, we are all sinners, and we don't deserve God's salvation. But he gives us that gift freely. Now, some can argue at this point, well, I don't think the master was that generous to those people that, that started in the beginning of the day. But the truth is, that wage was a very generous wage, even for a person that had worked 12 hours. It was extremely generous. So those workers, they had worked that 12 hours. And you would think that they would be happy for the workers that only worked an hour because they received something good as well. They actually received something that could be celebrated. This kind of connects back to last week. Remember the older brother, how he wasn't happy for the younger brother? And I made mention of this. Like, if you're not happy for other people and the blessings that they have, that says more about you than anything else. It says more about your spiritual condition. If you can't look at someone else and be glad for them, celebrate with them, be happy for the blessings that they have in their lives. You know, someone actually after the 830 came up to me and said, you know what I was thinking when, when you were talking about the, those people that, that, that um, got the job the first hour and worked 12 hours? He said, I rather know what my prize is all my life than be unsure of what my prize is all my life and then find out later. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good point. These workers, they, they were like really looking at other people rather than themselves and saying, you know what? I got what was promised to me. I received what was promised to me. Now, the next thing, the master paid all the workers the same, no matter how long they worked, just as salvation is given by God in the same, is the same for all that believe, no matter when they believe. Do you realize the only time it's too late to trust in Jesus is after you physically die? That's the only time it's too late, after you physically die. The thief on the cross is the best example that we have in the scriptures of a deathbed conversion. Think about this. There was a thief hanging next to Jesus. He looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me. And what did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Could you imagine how aggravated some of those religious leaders were that were bringing Jesus up to crucify him and hearing him say to this criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, all these things were set up by Jesus to, re to remind, right? To remind people, like those people should have been celebrating. Look at that criminal on the cross. And now he's going to be in paradise because he expressed faith in Jesus. So since the master represents God, the workers obviously represent us, the believers. And the day of work is the lifetime of the believer. 
You know, the times the workers were hired represent the length of their life as believers. The ones that were hired first, obviously, they worked the whole day, that 12 hours. And unfortunately, many of them had a problem. They were upset that they received the same pay. They were, the, the ones that received the same pay at the 11th hour, they were obviously pretty happy. I mean, could you imagine being in that person's shoes, how happy you would be? Well, let me just tell you, when you first trusted in Christ, you were that person, right? How happy were you? That joy that you felt when you first trusted in Christ, you were like, this is amazing. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Do you know it's sad to say that sometimes people that have, believer, that have been believers for a long time lose their zeal? They lose their excitement. You may remember when you first became a Christian, you were super excited, but maybe now, later, 20, 30 years later, you're not as excited. Maybe you've been, become a grumpy Christian. Have you become, don't raise your hand if you're a grumpy. Well, you wouldn't raise your hand because you're grumpy, okay? So here's the thing. Maybe you've been a believer for many years and the excitement has kind of worn off. Maybe you're wondering why. Well, let me help you with a few reasons. Maybe you are grumpy and maybe these are the reasons why. And maybe one of those reasons is you're off focus. Maybe you're kind of tangled up in some kind of sin. You're struggling with that sin. And the struggle, the internal struggle is just weighing on you. And it's making you unhappy. You know it's not the way you should be living, so it's making you grumpy. You thought that it was going to bring you joy, what you were doing, but it actually stole your joy. Maybe you're wrapped up in building your own financial kingdom. Okay, it's easy to get wrapped up in that. Oh, my investments. Oh, my real estate. Oh, all this stuff. I'm saving up for the future. The future is going to be awesome. Do you remember that guy who had too much money in the scriptures? You don't, you don't see too many people say that, right? I have too much money. But he had too much. He had too much stuff. And he said, I'm going to tear down my old barns and build bigger ones to store all my stuff in. And Jesus said, you fool. Your life is going to be demanded from you tonight. You know, sometimes we get so off focus in the future for the future things of this life. And we forget to live for this day. We spend so much time thinking how good it will be rather than looking at the day that we're in. These days, one of the ways I see believers get off focus is getting too involved in politics and what's going on in this world. Obviously, as Christians, we need to be aware of things. But you know what? You get so involved in that media circus and all the things that are going on and taking these political opinions and stands and being radical about these things. Guess what? You're going to be off focus. We see it. We see it in some of the, the, the people, right? We see it in some of our friends and family. They're just so off focus because they're so charged about all these things. And now they've become from, they went from joyful Christians to grumpy Christians. Do you know it's difficult to be excited and happy about something that you're not focused on? If you're not focused on the Lord, you're not going to be excited and happy about the Lord if you're not focusing on him. Another issue is when you're focused in on something that brings you down and is not edifying to God, it will actually steal your joy. So you know what happened with these people that were hired? Not all of them, but some of them that were hired that first hour. They just got off focus. They were so concerned about what the other people got 
that they didn't look at what they had already had. Maybe another reason why you're not excited about the Lord right now is because you're not growing. Maybe you're just not growing. You're not studying. You're not praying. You're not spending time listening to podcasts and sermons. You're not doing those things. You know, it's so exciting to me when people come up to me and say, say oh, I'm listening to this, uh, you know, good pastor, or this, this podcast that's really helping me in my faith. I'm like, great, that's awesome. You've realized that you can listen to great sermons every single day from world-class speakers and authors in your car, or when you're mowing your lawn or whatever. You can continue to be growing. You can listen to the scripture. You can read the scripture. You can pray. But let me just tell you, if you're not growing in your faith, you're going to become grumpy. Maybe you're kind of like stagnant. Oh, I've already heard that. I already know that. I already read that. I don't know where to go now. I don't know, you know, I need something a little more exciting than all these things that I learned all my life. Maybe you're just not growing. Maybe you're not excited about the Lord because you're not befriending and witnessing to people that don't know Jesus. Now, this is important for us as believers. We need to be befriending and witnessing to those that do not know Jesus. Do you realize that Christianity was never about and never should be about a holy huddle? Let's get all our Christian friends together and hang out and never include anybody who doesn't know Jesus because you never know what they're going to say. You never know what they're going to do. We're going to hide out and we're not going to be around other uh, people that don't believe in Jesus. And we're never going to associate with people that don't believe in Jesus. And guess what? When you don't associate, when you're not around, when you're not witnessing, you will never have the experience of seeing the joy that they have. And guess what? Joy is contagious, isn't it? Joy is contagious. When you know somebody that has become a believer and they're all like excited and they're like, I've been reading the Bible and stuff. You're like, man, I, I forgot about that joy that I had. One of the things I always loved like, uh, when I worked with the youth ministry, when you would see a kid get saved, and then all of a sudden the kids that brought him would get more excited because they were like, yeah, I brought my friend, and they got saved. This actually works. You know, they're like happy about it. They're excited. I am so thankful when I became a believer at 18 years old that I ran into a group of people that weren't like, okay, we're just Christians. That's all we hang out with. You, get out of here. We don't need your kind. You don't believe in Jesus. Could you imagine that? Think about after, the, after Jesus was crucified and then after his resurrection, um, but more so after Jesus was crucified. Do you remember where the disciples all went? They went to the upper room. Do you know why? To hide, okay? And rightfully so. They were a little scared, okay? Their leader just got crucified. But then they were still there even after Jesus rose from the grave, could you imagine when Jesus rose from the grave, he went to the upper room and looked around and said, this is a pretty good hideout. I would just stay here if I were you guys because it's dangerous out there. Could you imagine if Jesus did that? No, Jesus said, get out there. Go and tell. Go and tell other people about me. It may cost you your life, and most of you know, for all of them it did, except for John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos after he was boiled in oil and somehow got out, okay? So Jesus wasn't like, hey, stay here. It's safe. He said, go out there. This world needs the message. You know, it's so exciting when someone we know trusts in Jesus. 
You'll never experience that joy if you don't befriend people that don't know Jesus. And you know what? It's going to get you off focus. It's going to get you off focus if you just huddle up. Maybe you're not excited about the Lord because you're burnt out. Maybe some of you here are workers and you work hard. Maybe you're like the workers that worked all 12 hours. And you're like, we're sunburned. We work all day. Our back hurts. And these guys come in and they get the same thing. Maybe, you know what, your joy has been stolen because you've burnt yourself out. Maybe you've served in every ministry possible. And guess what? Maybe now it's time for you to say, you know what? I'm going to bring up other people to do some of the things that I've been doing for years and years. And maybe for some of you that are burnt out, maybe it's a control issue. Maybe you got this internal thing going on. You're like, I'm burnt out, but I like to be in control of everything. Okay? Well, maybe the Lord's telling you, bring up other people to do some of the things that you've been doing for maybe even decades. Maybe even decades you've been doing those things. And maybe you're afraid to lose control of those things. But the Lord is saying, I need other workers to do those things. And guess what? Some of those other workers might do those things even better than you have done them. Now we move to the vineyard. The vineyard is the work God calls the believers to for his kingdom. Now, I don't know what the work of a vineyard is, but obviously anything that is needed in that vineyard, as far as the parable goes. But we have to ask this question. What is the work that God calls us as believers to do in this world? And first and foremost, it's obviously to go and tell, right? Spread the gospel. To tell others about Jesus. One of the things that I love about this church and the history of this church is this church is a go-and-tell type church. Okay, many of you here became believers later in life because somebody in the church went and told. Like our little shirt says, since 1977, this church has been going and telling other people about Jesus. That's the work of God's kingdom. Second is disciple fellow believers. Are you teaching others how to follow? If you're a parent... You better believe that you have a bunch of little disciples in your house, okay? Don't just say, oh, I sent them to Sunday school and they get it all in an hour a week because I'll just tell you this, they don't get it all in an hour a week. Hey, you need to be discipling. That's the work of God, discipling your kids, discipling the people around you. If you know more than one of your Christian friends, it's your calling to actually disciple them and help them and guide them and build them up. Are you using your gifts in the church to build up other believers? That's the work of discipleship. And as believers, we obviously help other people. We help those who are in the household of faith, the scriptures tell us, but we also help non-believers. You know, it's one of the greatest things about the, what you can do. If you have a gift, talent, or ability, you can go and help and serve, not necessarily within the church, but even outside the church. You can help other people, and guess what? It kind of wakes them up a little bit. It kind of makes them think. It kind of makes them wonder, why is this person doing this thing on my behalf for me to help me? And then you might have an amazing opportunity to help them understand who Jesus is. Now, the final symbol, which is a very simple one, the denarius. The denarius represents eternal life. Notice the payment for all is the same no matter how long they worked. In, fa in fact, the payment is not even based on the work. Notice in the parable, it never says about the work. Like the owner never says, hey, 
These guys really put a good hard hour in those last people. They were good workers, and that's why I gave them the denarius. No, never says, never says anything about the quality of work. The only, uh, the, actually, the only, the only time we ever see anybody say anything about the quality of work is actually the workers that work for 12 hours. They're like, we worked hard, okay? Never does the master say about the work. I mean, this parable is not teaching about eternal rewards that are for the millennial kingdom. It's not teaching about that at all. But it actually is teaching about the ultimate reward of eternal life given to all who believe no matter when in life they come to Christ. Now, think about this for a second. There's people that you know, and I know right now, that you're just like, I don't think that they would ever believe in Jesus. You know, maybe they're getting on in age, and you're just wondering, I just don't think they'll ever believe in Jesus. Well, let me leave you with the words of Jesus. Because he says, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible.